The transmission of important data often becomes a bottleneck for the Rebel Alliance. Can you tell us how the transmission of transaction data became a similar bottleneck for scalability in Arweave 1.0? I don't know if I would um, frame it as a scalability problem. I would say it was probably more like an adoption problem where like demand for storage, people were finding use cases. Uh, there is, uh, and there was more demand than for, for permanent data than there was room in the block. So earlier we talked about the blockchain, how everybody comes to agreement on like the, the contents of the checkbook every two minutes or every 10 minutes. Well, it turns out if you have a global permissionless network uh, where anyone can join over any link speed, there's actually a, an average link speed of that network. Um, and in order to get everyone to get all of the current data of the network so they can come to agreement about it. You're tuned to the Rcast, where we talk about the blockchain on the Rcast and how your data remains it's the Rcast, where our drive is the topic, censorship resistant permanence. Yeah, we got it. What's up, Weavers? It's Andrew. Back with the really exciting Rcast. This is episode 34. We just got back from ETH Denver, and this was the first live Rcast. We recorded this in front of an audience last Thursday, March 2nd, and it's with DMAC, the Jedi genius of Arweave, who you all probably know. Um, this segment was produced by 422 Lux. You can watch the interview on YouTube if you wanna watch the video, but it was a great interview. I dropped a lot of Star Wars metaphors on him. He was patient, he was a good sport, the audience was awesome. We set up a drive, if you go to denver.rweave.dev, there's actually a few drives. You can see photos of our favorite moments. You can download all the videos. You can download the audio from the walkathon. It was great. We're gonna be at South by Southwest this coming Tuesday for a show. It starts uh, at 5 p.m., so Tuesday, March 14th. And you can check out the mixtape that we did of all the artists playing if you go to 1984.rweave.dev. It's at the Valhalla Esports Lounge at 710 West 6th Street in Austin. So we'll see you there. So let's get into it. This is my interview with DMAC live on the RCAST. How would you describe an RV transaction to somebody's grandmother? Uh, okay, that's a, that's a good place to start. Um, we, we, cookies on the bottom shelf here. Like, <laughs> Um, to somebody's grandmother, well, I think to understand a transaction, uh, you have to sort of understand what a blockchain is. So I think you would, you would start with the basics. Um, now, how do you start explaining a blockchain to somebody's grandma? Um, well, it's, it's a, uh, I think you would have to uh, make an analogy to an accounting ledger. Like most people have balanced their checkbook or at least when you, uh, like your grandma probably used to have to balance a checkbook before everything got digital. You write your, your entries or like how much money's gone out, how much money's de you know, deposited in the checking account. And the idea of a blockchain is that this is a, a global public ledger. It's a checkbook that everybody can see and verify all of the time. Um, and what's interesting about it is that nobody controls it. It's not like a bank. Um, and what happens is the whole world uh, uh, comes to consensus. Um, there's people all over the world who are participating in this checkbook. Uh, and every 10 minutes or every two minutes or depending on the blockchain, um, they all agree on the contents of the checkbook and all of the transactions that are in it. So now we get to a transaction. What is a transaction? Well, it's the, uh, it's the way that you write data into the checkbook. So it's how you put 
um, new entries into the checkbook. And we call it a transaction because historically, uh, blockchains, starting with Bitcoin, uh, were a financial application. So a financial transaction uh, is writing financial data to the Bitcoin ledger, which is a financial ledger. Um, I would elaborate or a little bit on that. This is one of the interesting places where Arweave is different than uh, Bitcoin because while Arweave does have the possibility of doing financial transactions and transferring uh, tokens between uh, users of the network, um, it also, uh, an Arweave transaction can just store data on the network. And so Arweave blocks are a little bit different than uh, just an accounting ledger like a checkbook. They're more like a hard drive where you can store data. And so as each block is added to the network, um, it adds data that people want to store. So sometimes transactions on Arweave are actually just storing data. They aren't actually transferring value um, between one account or another. Did working on Arweave feel a little bit like joining the rebellion? Yes, I absolutely love that aspect of it. Yeah, there's, Arweave is sort of uh, like counter-positioned against or versus or when compared to other protocols out there. And I just loved how it was doing something completely different in a different way. Um, and uh, once I stumbled into it, I just, I loved that sort of looking at the world through a different perspective. So let's talk about that. So your, so your origin story is a bit mysterious because mm. we know you as DMAC. We know you have a really cool room where you do your videos. We know you're, you're very much part of the community. What was your um, Luke Skywalker moment? How, when did you first discover Arweave and you're like, this is tight, let's go? Uh, it's interesting. I have sort of a weird uh, path into crypto. Um, I, I started reading books about economics um, and I read Jeff's booth, Jeff Booth's uh, Price of Tomorrow, which is really interesting um, observations about the uh, exponential growth in technology and the impact that it has on uh, economic growth and so how we have to inflate the economy to compensate for the gains in technology. Anyway, I started to get really worried. I, I started to see that decentralization and blockchains um, were a uh, a path forward for humanity. And I saw that some of the brightest and the most optimistic people were working in the space. But I also saw that the threat that it represented uh, to the, the existing systems of government and power and states, nation states and fiat currencies. And I was worried that maybe blockchains wouldn't make it. Maybe decentralization wouldn't make it. Um, and I spent a little bit of time in the state. And then I realized that I am an engineer and I could do something about it. I could actually help. And so once that, once that uh, like flip switched, uh, I was all in. Like, you know, once you go down the rabbit hole, it's every evening, you know, you're reading about all these different blockchains. Um, oddly enough, I didn't start with the Bitcoin white paper. I started with the IPFS white paper. <clears throat> and because uh, it, uh, it had really good vibes. It was about like this permanent, uh, internet and, and, uh, and content addressing. And I read it and then, I was sort of unconvinced by the technical um, uh, description of how it worked, uh, which was very disappointing. Uh, but then I was listening to podcasts and stuff like that, and I actually heard Sam on uh, like uh, the Proof podcast with Kevin Rose, and he was talking about this permanent storage, and I had that same feeling. I was like, oh, 
here's another one of these like protocols that's not going to deliver. Um, and so I went and I read the Arweave like yellow paper and beige paper, started looking around in the project. And, and I was going to disprove it uh, in my own mind, just as sort of a fun exercise. But actually what happened was I started to believe that it was actually a credible uh, attempt at permanent storage and that perhaps we were actually seeing a real zero to one change of something that we haven't had um, as a species permanent storage and I was like oh man this is incredible and uh, it solves a bunch of pain points that I had where I wanted to build decentralized applications but everywhere I looked everyone was just making smart contracts and putting their applications on AWS which wasn't cutting it for me and so this ecosystem that we have here where you can build fully decentralized applications permanent applications I was like yeah this is the future that I want to see I got chills I got chills D-Mag <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so ontology recapitulates phylogeny, right? The idea that like everything that happens in evolution of culture kind of reflects the things that happened wrong in the past and how we can fix them. And you have this great video about the, the road to Arweave 2.6. And I watched that probably four times <laughs> because I was like, I want to figure this story out. I want to figure about the journey, the hero's journey of the protocol itself. So I got a question for you. So while watching your talk, we learned that Arweave 1.0 faced scalability challenges. Mm. And in episode four of Star Wars, R2-D2 has, to, has the plans to blow up the Death Star, right? And yep. him getting to Princess Leia is huge. That's huge. He's their only hope to, to get the information. So my question is this. The transmission of important data often becomes a bottleneck for the Rebel Alliance. Can you tell us how the transmission of transaction data became a similar bottleneck for scalability in Arweave 1.0? and how we blew up the Death Star, or we're working on it. Wow, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of dots to connect there. <laughs> um, let's see, well, I don't know if I would um, frame it as a scalability problem. I would say it was probably more like an adoption problem, where like demand for storage, people were finding use cases, uh, there is, uh, and there was more demand than for, for permanent data than there was room in the block. So earlier we talked about the blockchain, how everybody comes to agreement on like the, the contents of the checkbook every two minutes or every 10 minutes. Well, it turns out if you have a global permissionless network uh, where anyone can join over any link speed, there's actually a, an average link speed of that network. Um, and in order to get everyone to get all of the current data of the network so they can come to agreement about it, um, there's a limit. There's a limit to how much data that can be. And so um, early on, Arweave was uh, uh, designed to take advantage of, of, of a very small uh, link speed on the network. And what happened was the way the blocks were configured, um, uh, it, was, it was using up that capacity. Okay, so um, the idea that there was, a f like, there was a finite amount of data that could be transmitted at once. Right. There was a fix, there was a ceiling on the amount of data that could be transferred and synchronized on the network. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. Miners are like bounty hunters. You can <laughs> capture Han Solo, but can you bring him to Java? How does Arweave's transaction bundle features allow for virtually unlimited transaction size and scalability? Or does it? It does. There's some hops in between there. Um, one of, the, one of the, the, the key improvements to the protocol was actually making it so that you could post the headers of a transaction and include those in the blocks that are synchronized on this somewhat constrained global, global network. Um, and that allowed you to uh, include transactions in a block 
uh, without having to sort of force the data in at the same time. And what this enabled the network to do is it could, it could prioritize sending the blocks around the network, keeping everyone in, in global consensus, and in the background be filling in all of this, all of this data. So that was, uh, that was uh, our Weave 2.0. Um, and then as a result of that, what that did is early Arweave, um, when, when the, the block space was constrained, uh, you could only have 5.8 megabyte transactions. And if you wanted to store a file larger than 5.8 uh, megabytes, you had to span it over multiple transactions. And with 2.0, it unlocked the ability to have, the, the protocol didn't really put a limit on the size of a transaction. It's like some huge number that is like the number of atoms in our solar, or I don't know, some, some crazy large number. The protocol will accept that much data. Um, and so that was the unlock. So with that unlock also came the ability to have bundles. And uh, the protocol has maintained its uh, 1,000 transaction per block um, uh, uh, limit, but it's, it's a very soft limit because each one of those 1,000 transactions can contain tens, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of other transactions within them. And because these transactions can uh, scale to very, very large sizes, like the entire surface area of the web, um, bundles are the way that we can have virtually unlimited number of transactions on our weave for each block. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, so let me ask you this. How would, so my grandma's back for Thanksgiving. Oh, I got to ask she her, comes. she's, she's yeah. like, Andrew, I've heard about this Spora thing. And I heard you're talking to DMAC. How would you explain how Spora works with this? And what is Spora, my grandma wants to know. Um, yeah. So there's been a steady, uh, steady iteration or steady improvement um, to the mining mechanism on Arweave. So early, early Arweave, uh, the mining was split into two parts. Uh, the first thing you would do is the, the mining mechanism would say, pick a random block from Arweave's past. And if you have it, you can start a race to mine the new block. Um, and then when you won that race, you would actually include the entire block in the new block, sort of doubling the block size. And this was one of the, 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 the um, implementation details that made it difficult to synchronize blocks on the network. What Spora did was it allowed you to include much less information while still proving that you were storing those blocks. And so uh, um, these things were called succinct proofs. So you didn't have to use a whole block for a proof. Now you could use, uh, uh, basically a branch path through a Merkle tree, which is a much less information, uh, and you could use that to prove that you were storing that data and to produce a new block. Um, so Spora was the next iteration past that. So what happened was early on, you had to include uh, an entire historical block, and then you could just include uh, a, a historical proof, one of these very small proofs. Spora is very important. This is where we get the random. So there's proof of access. There's succinct proof of access. So proof of access, you include an entire block. Succinct proof of access, you can just include a proof for a block. And then you have succinct proof of random access, which is Spora. And that means the entire time the miner is mining, um, they, have to, they have to include a, a, a proof of storage for every single hash that they produce. Uh, and so this dramatically in, increased the amount of proofs that miners, miners were doing, and it strongly incentivized them to create as many replicas of the data as possible, because when you need to read data from the weave in order to generate a mining hash, you want to have that data as close as possible. 
Um, and so uh, our weave over time went from having like pools of blocks that miners prove that they have access to, to miners actually storing as much of the R-Weave data set and replicating it over and over. So the, the reliability and the durability of data on R-Weave has only improved over time. So it's the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then R-Weave 2.6, there's the ability to mine just with an SSD hard drive. Correct HDD. me on that. HDD. H so there's yeah. two types of hard drives. Uh, well, there's actually a lot more, but there's two types that are important to R-Weave. Um, hard disk drives are like a spinning platter, like a record player, um, and they're cheaper. They're way, they're way cheaper, but they're also slower. Um, and then there's solid state drives, uh, and they're just like a couple chips on a circuit board, uh, and they're like 10 times as expensive, but they're also like 10 times as fast. And uh, through this process, miners were competing as they do, and they're always trying to optimize the mining process. And what they did with Spora, they realized that, hey, a 10x improvement on my, on my, uh, my ability to pull uh, proofs off a drive and mine, is that, that, that really affects my bottom line. And so as a result, it made mining more expensive, um, and it also uh, consumed more energy, right? So with 2.6, which is coming up here in, on, on March 6th, so just a couple days, I think it's like 1400 UTC or something than that, roughly, there's a block height where, where the, the fork activates. Um, what the protocol does now is, is it enforces a speed limit. So it, it limits how many mining hashes you have every second, and it limits it to uh, a, uh, a speed that is completely accessible by commodity hard drives. So these 10, these, these hard disk drives, these platter drives, they're now fair game for mining. And so it makes it possible for more miners uh, to participate in the protocol with uh, lower upfront costs. Um, and it also maximizes the number of replicas of the R-Weave data set per unit of energy spent. So everyone here with their laptops could mine right now, theoretically. Could mine, yes. Could be miners. Well, there's, okay, well, if you, how, how in-depth in do you want to go? Let's go. Okay, let's go. Um, so the economic incentives of the protocol, they really strongly incentivize creating a complete replica of the R-Weave data set. So if R-Weave is 100 terabytes, you really want to have 100 ter terabytes. That maximizes uh, your potential for earnings. Um, less than that, you can still do it, uh, but you'll have, uh, less optimal per, uh, performance in the mining game. But with 2.6, one of the things that uh, miners will be able to do is um, they'll be able to split up that 100 terabytes. So our data dataset is larger than 100 terabytes, but for example, um, so if you and me and uh, a couple of us were like hobbyist miners and we didn't have 100 terabytes, maybe we had 10 or 20, we could actually team up and share a mining address and, and sort of split that that replica between us and cooperate to mine. So that's, that's something that uh, is, uh, I guess, on the near-term near horizon. Right now, our weed miners are already well-established with big hard drive spaces, and they're repacking their data, and they're making multiple complete replicas. Uh, but I do expect that to emerge as a mining pattern um, going forward. That's exciting. So that makes it, that makes, does that make it more scalable then? Uh, it makes the it makes the data more permanent, right? So the more more replicas you have in more places, uh, the more fault tolerant and the more robust it is. 
and so, yeah, by lowering the barrier to entry, you're getting more replicas of the Arweave data set. So let me ask you this. What is your favorite thing you've ever uploaded to Arweave? And if it's private, it's okay. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> My favorite thing. Like, I, this is so cool. This exists forever. I'm so happy this is here. Um, I, think, I think it's probably from that, the 2.6 talk that you're talking about. Uh, there's a photo at the end uh, that I uploaded with image.arweave.dev. Shout out to Tom. Um, <laughs> with the ANS 110 protocol um, is the image of the Prius Racing League. That's the Ooh. metaphor for Arweave 2.6. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about that exact image, actually. That's, oh, yeah? that's wild, that's your favorite thing you uploaded. What? It's a, it's a segue. <laughs> um, okay, so you talked about, yeah, the Prius Racing League, because there's never been a Prius Racing League. No, yeah, to my knowledge, I really Googled it, and it was coming up zero, zilch, nothing. And uh, so, okay, so that's a beautiful metaphor of explaining Arweave 2.6. Explain that a little more in depth using that, using that metaphor of the Prius, the Pri. Right, so prior to 2.6, miners were rewarded for having like these high performance mining rigs. So, you know, NVMe SSDs running to the max, you know, uh, with as many processors as could handle the transfer speed from those, from those drives. Um, with 2.6, uh, because the, uh, the cryptographic clock that uh, limits the amount of hashes that are produced every second for a miner, it's now well within the range of commodity drives, like hard disk drives, uh, that transfer uh, at most 200 megs a second. That's, that's the requirement for mining partitions on Arweave. Uh, um, so as a result, um, there's another slight implementation detail there. New in 2.6, every, uh, every replica that a miner does, it's encoded with that miner's mining address. And so what that means is that every replica of the Arweave dataset has its own unique mining address. Um, and then there's only so many hashes that that replica will generate based on the speed limit. And so you have a very clear target for what you're trying to support. Store that replica or split it with you and some friends and be able to mine it at this 200 megs a second rate. Um, and that's a very, uh, that's a much lower economic entry point. Instead of like a drag racer, that's much more like buying a Prius. And you'll know that you're, you're in fair competition with all the other miners because everybody's limited to that same 200 megs a second uh, uh, transfer rate. So there's no, uh, there's no advantage to having a super high performance like tuned race car. You're, you're far better off spending that extra funds and buying more Priuses because the more cars you have in the race, the more chances you have to win. Let's, let's give him a round of applause for that metaphor. That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks, DMAC. Uh, I'm going to end with one more question. It's a, it sums up everything we talked about. All right, here we go. And I know, I know you can nail this. You've been nailing every question. Okay. Does the introduction of Spora in Arweave 2.6 with its cryptographic clock that releases a certain number of hashes to miners every second relate to the concept of the Jedi Order in Star Wars, a group of peacekeepers with a connection to the Force who must balance their use of power and abide by a code of ethics. Holler. There, I don't know, to be honest, I watched more Star Trek than Star Wars. <laughs> uh -oh, I gotta redo these questions. <laughs> but um, there's, there's always, Something I've observed about Arweave is that there is this really interesting uh, tension that exists from between 
sort of the hyper-competitive nature of Arweave mining, of all of these miners optimizing their rigs, eking out like every small percentage point of, uh, of efficiency to maximize their profits. It's very like, you know, um, I would almost call it capitalist. And then on the other side, you have these things like the endowment, like where when anyone uploads data to Arweave, it's put into an endowment that benefits everyone who's ever uploaded data to Arweave. And, and now with like 2.6, um, it's, it's, it's making it, the, the mining activity much more um, egalitarian. It's, much, it, it's, it's less about having you know, $7,000 or whatever it is to set up a rig initially. Now the barrier to entry is much lower. Um, and because, in a weird way, because Arweave only prices uh, what it costs to store data uh, permanently, it doesn't do things like, oh, hey, we're running out of block space, so we're gonna like, increase the transaction fees. Now it costs $30 to post a transaction. Arweave always keeps the cost of storing data at the, the actual cost that it takes to fund miners to store it. Um, and so there's this, there is this sort of um, lovely tension there that Arweave embraces both things, sort of like hyper, the, the, the hyper-competitiveness of capitalism, but also the like, pro-social sort of um, benefit to humanity. And it, and it brings both those things together in one protocol, which I find fascinating. That's a great answer. That's good, <laughs> that's good. Um, DMAC, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because I know I've been lobbing these metaphorical questions at you, and you're a brilliant man. Is there anything you want to share? Because you have the mic. Um, what, what do you think of the recent Star Wars movies? The recent ones? Um, I think it's great that like my son will have a, a new generation to grow up with, and I think it's good to have strong female role models. Absolutely. What do you think? What do you think? Have you seen them? Or are you no? I have seen them. I will. I will say that my my favorite Star Wars character is uh, Darth Maul, and they killed him in one film. So I was like, now what do I got? And, Although but, yeah. Mandalorian, very good. Mm. I'm not st Star Wars in general, but Mandalorian, I, I'm down. <laughs> Season three just started, right? Mandalorian fans. Yeah, this is the way. Yeah, Phil knows. <laughs> um, question for you. So, is it what Star Trek? What's the episode? What's the one um, where Kirk is dealing with his humanity as he as he ages? TNG, it? TNG, dude. Which one is it? T I didn't watch those ones. Oh, you didn't watch that one. No, I my, my there was no television in my childhood, so I only watched TNG. <laughs> Next generation. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what's up. Okay. We're on, we're on opposite sides of whatever this battlefield is. But it's kind of like the are we community because we can get along. We do. We yeah. can mine ourselves for trivia <laughs> as part of the arcade. And your contributions to the endowment are benefiting my data. <laughs> and your information yeah. is helping us market the protocol to the community with metaphors that are both accessible and enduring. Wow. That's what's up. Cheers. I think we should call it there. <laughs> uh, DMAC, where can people follow you? I always like to end our cast with social media shoutouts. Uh, yeah. Uh, of course, the Arweave Dev Discord, very active there. On Twitter, DMAC on Arweave. Uh, Telegram, DMAC on Arweave. Uh, yeah, that's the best places. And that video that I referenced is on the Ford Research? Ford YouTube? Research, yeah. Ford Research YouTube channel. Um, more content coming there soon. Give them a subscribe. Anthony, can you pop that in the chat, the link to it? That's what's up. Thanks, DMAC. We'll see you all Tuesday at the South by Southwest R-Drive mixtape release show, and we'll keep you posted on everything happening in the Arweave community. Know before you stow. I'm Andrew, and this has been the R-Cast.